Welcome to another episode of Digital Detox Secrets. Those three words can change your life. My name is Lisa Beyer, and I will be your host. Today, I want to introduce you to my guest, Gigi O'Brien. She is the author of the book, Intelligence of Happiness, which just launched this month in honor of National Suicide Prevention Month. I met Gigi about a month ago, and somehow we got on the topic of trauma, her trauma, my trauma, and how everyone in some way suffers from trauma. Her book, The Intelligence of Happiness, summarizes the lessons of a decade-long journey shaping pain to power and failure to fortune, and is for anyone ready to discover their three versions of self, which is effective, cognitive, and executive, and also leverage the alignment of the selves to heal, find ultimate happiness, and unlock their brilliance. One of the testimonials for the book, The Intelligence of Happiness, comes from C. Anna Miller. She says, happiness through a truthful and scientifically stimulating lens. It's a book the world needs in these times for both relief and great inspiration, said Naba Mandela, the chairman of the Mandela Institute for Humanity and the grandson of Nelson Mandela. Well, you can't get a better testimonial than that. So with that, I want to welcome Gigi, and we will talk about the intelligence of happiness and more. Welcome, Gigi. Hi, everybody, and welcome. I am here today with my guest, Gigi O'Brien. Hey, Gigi, how are you? I'm fantastic, Lisa. Thanks for having me. She is the author of her newly published book, The Intelligence of Happiness, which I just got a copy and reading, and it's so good. And I love it because it talks about the power behind pain, and her goal is to positively impact 1 million people and give them their happiest life and happiest self possible, which I think is an amazing mission. But Gigi, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came about to write this book and some of the milestones, which I know you've been through a lot just in reading your bio. So you've had a lot of fails and scares and trauma. Yeah, absolutely. I think over the last decade and a half, I've realized that our suffering really comes from what we attach to, as well as a few fundamental things. For me, it was, I had a terrible relationship with failure. So I embodied my failures as a part of a reflection of myself and that impacted my self-worth. I had um, mentally bad habits that when they were left unaddressed, they actualize into physical illness. I got a tumor in my back while I was in Bangkok. Just everything was sort of leading into this fundamental thing that every time I got knocked down by life, I'd be like, but what do I actually want to get up for? And it was really an interesting thing when I just stayed down there and I sat with my pain and it revealed a bit more of my purpose. And so that's why I love the idea of transforming pain into power, suffering to success, failure to fortune. So that's definitely become a fundamental philosophy in my life. And it makes it makes actually the hard times exciting. It's like, oh, what am I going to learn here? Yeah. And I think, you know, turning pain into power is easier said than done. And a lot of people let pain kind of take them down. They self-medicate, whether it's for their mental pain or physical pain, and they don't really, you know, everything then becomes so clouded. They can't really even like focus and, and see like, you know, where to go or like how to move forward. And so what advice based on your experience or from the book, like what do you, what advice do you give and how to really get clarity when you're in pain and turn pain into power? 
Yeah, the start point for all of this, which is so timely, it is World Suicide Prevention Month. And I know that you're in alignment with a lot of this as well. It's authenticity. You cannot get where you're going if you're not honest about where you're at. And I use this example sometimes. If you tell someone, hey, I'm at Kmart, but you're really at Dior, you're just going to get the wrong directions. You're never going to be able to get to the place where you're trying to get to. So it was being unashamed of my pain and validating it because you can't heal unless you say you're broken. And so for a long time, I went in this loop of trying to be positive, the toxic positivity of actually, no, I'm stronger than this. I'm, I'm not, I'm better. And then the guilt of being like, why am I so hard on myself? Why can I, why, why am I allowing myself to feel like this? Just snap out of it. And I think we don't greet our problems with the relativity of the solutions they require to empower us we tend to avoid them. And you were correct in saying that we do things to numb ourselves. But I think authenticity is really one of the most powerful things that you can learn to start that journey of transformation. Being real with yourself and being like, do I feel angry here? Am I feeling guilt? Is this shame rooted in truth? And how do I reestablish my worth to take that pain away? And I, I call it the theory of opposites in my book. And I found it very helpful because you can't experience two opposite thoughts or emotions simultaneously. So if you can't understand your stress, understand relaxation. If you can't understand the truth of your sadness, understand happiness. And this, this became a sort of formula that I was using to counteract the ways pain was manifesting emotionally. One of the ways, um, well, the way that we met was we're in a mutual female entrepreneur Facebook group, and we just kind of started chatting and this topic of trauma came up and I really didn't know that much about trauma and I'm still learning, but you had shared a story that you spent time like in like the Amazon forest or something like in, in silence, like really addressing your trauma. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with trauma and like, you know, how people can like learn and, and get inspired from you and actionable things to do. Absolutely. My understanding of trauma really came from a trial and error of trauma. I didn't deal with trauma earlier in my life because I didn't understand what we were meant to do with it. So I had known the power of trauma cumulatively and compoundingly creating a worse impact the longer you leave it unaddressed. And then earlier this year, I experienced a home invasion. A man walked into the bedroom and held me at knife point in bed. My partner heard me screaming. And when he ran in, the guy was backing him. So he didn't see he had a knife. He jumped him. My partner ended up getting stabbed just shy of his carotid artery and jugular. And that, that was my trauma. And I had completely underestimated what PTSD and anxiety does to your life. And I, and I will still say this, I, I don't feel it's psychological and I understand it's rooted in the psyche because it's in the unconscious mind. But for me, it was a very physical thing. I didn't feel like I had control over my body and my thoughts and my fears and my responses. I was just so fragile and I couldn't end that cycle of being in a state of trauma. And that doesn't necessarily have to come from something as severe as being held at knife point. It can be something a lot less intense that is just left unaddressed and grows in intensity. So 
this is where I learned that you can't solve big problems with small solutions. The daily meditations, the gratitude, the journaling, it had gotten me so far in so many dimensions of life until I got to this point. So I decided that I would go out into the jungle, the Mexican jungle and do a Vipassana where we really tapped into the essence of where trauma is stored. Trauma is stored in our DNA and in our unconscious mind, which means we can actually pass on our trauma, which is why it's so important to heal it. We can also inherit it. So while you may not understand why you have certain trauma responses, it could have been genetically embodied through your lineage. So no matter where it comes from, the important thing is to know where to start with it. And for me, that required really respecting it, the magnitude of disruption and being like, okay, you're not just going to go away. I'm going to have to sit with you and I'm going to do the work. And I felt that the best place to do that was away from commitments and obligations, which is where a lot of the anxiety I think was triggered was trying to sustain life before the trauma, but with trauma, except you're not the same anymore. So you can't keep up with the same things that you used to. You don't get the coffee grinder closed and suddenly your heart's racing and you're like, I'm not about to get killed. You can calm down. Mm -hmm. And it's just funny. And I have so much respect and adoration for the body. Like now knowing that I'm not really in, I mean, I'm in control, but when I don't gain that control, how much it can actually take me on a ride. So that was what the Mexico jungle was all about. 2,500 minutes of meditation later, basically the fundamental teaching was concentration when we can concentrate on our breath long enough we actually switch off our thought and our reaction when we become non-reactive we can relax trauma tension dis-ease in the body is from not being at ease so it's held in our tension in our body when we can relax and switch off our conscious and subconscious minds from racing the unconscious, which is sort of like our heart rate, our digestive system, all of our automatic nervous system responses in the body can get to work. And that the body knows how to heal itself if we can get out of our own way. So that was probably one of the most beneficial things I've learned, again, in the theme of transforming pain. How many days was it that you were in the, the meditation? I was there for jungle? seven days, which was great. Uh, this was actually a digital detox. I mm -hmm. had we didn't have internet. So I wasn't tempted to get online or anything, but I also did some fasting and I just detoxed from a lot of the things that I realized my body was using as numbing and comforting, which kept the pain there, but it just allowed it to be tamed enough that, you know, I got on with life until it came up again. So this was a really good lesson for me when you can just hold space and do something drastic that the results are miraculous. Now I understand my super conscious and I'm like even more powerfully enhanced in my entrepreneurial activities because I know how to concentrate. I know how to manage stress better. I know how to control and nip anxiety in the bud. I know how to just overcome fear in a heartbeat. And there's so many things, even down to as simple as getting the COVID test, you know, that sort of like you're jittery and you don't want them to go and like rape your brain. And even just, I said, don't tense right before going into the test. And I didn't even feel it because I had so much control over my consciousness and my awareness. Was that a guided program that you went on the seven days? So yes, there is a guide. It was me, one other girl and a guide out in the Mooney meditation center. He wrote a book called energetic engineering and he 
teaches throughout each day as well. So we do a number of hours of meditation, we break and you go into some theory so that you can understand and comprehend the mechanics of what's happening with pain in the body, trauma, but also just in general, thought structures, belief systems, everything that we hold on to where pain is actually also stored. Yeah, I did something similar. I did, I went to Canyon Ranch for about 11 days and it was the same concept where I was able to just kind of like, you know, be and not have any obligations, be by myself. You know, there were, I can come, I could go in and out of different one-on-one sessions or group lectures or activities or not. And it was very powerful to just be in that state, but I was desperate before I got there. I was suffering from burnout and I didn't know what to do. And I didn't realize like I, my very first lecture that I went to when I was there was on trauma. And I did not really know that much about trauma, but in that lecture, I learned exactly what you just said, that trauma, different types of trauma, health, you can be born with the DNA from trauma from your parents. Like if they were Holocaust victims or something like that, or raped or anything, like if if the trauma isn't dealt with, you can pass it on genetically, which I had no idea. And it really gave me an opportunity to like go and like deal with like some of my past trauma, which seems like um, similar to you, like, you know, we all have like these events that happen in our lives that are traumatic, but we don't realize how traumatic they are to us physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And if you don't deal with those, it sounds like, I mean, you went through some pretty tough events and they kind of just got stacked. And then that last one that you went through with your partner, you know, getting held at at knife point. And I mean, that's like, that was like the icing on the cake for your trauma, right? But it, you had these trauma events that were building up, it seems like, right? Totally. And it was just ironic because I handed in my manuscript to my publisher and the, the home invasion happened five days later. So I had mastered neuropsychology. I was like, yes, I understand this and everything. And then it was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, we'll give you this challenge for the unconscious mind, ready to step it up. I was like, come on universe. You could yeah. have given me a month or I don't know, a year, but it did. And like you said, you have to get so uncomfortable and so desperate. It's a perfect do. word, desperate. Yeah. And yeah. You, you feel like you're so desperate you're ready to surrender to just whatever help there is for you. Like you're, you know, like I kind of was joking about mine, you know, me going to Canyon Ranch, it was like, okay, yoga wasn't working. Wine wasn't working. Meditation wasn't working. Like these, these were just like little quick fixes. It wasn't what I really needed was like, you know, just to be by myself for seven to 10 days and like deal with it. Totally. And right before I left for Mexico, I, started picking up habits that I knew were just really dangerous. The social anxiety was at an all time high. I was getting social anxiety about the weekend on a Tuesday, you know, to see people who I absolutely love. Then I was just drinking before I left the house to take the nerves off. You know how this, this is. And, And the thing is, and I don't recommend it for anyone, but it's highly effective, except you're gonna feel 10 times worse because alcohol as many other things that are toxic are depressants. So they, they're temporary. They're easy to get addicted to. They spike your dopamine. But when your dopamine spikes, your serotonin plummets, which is what you naturally associate as a come down. So you're coming down because not only is your dopamine gone, but your serotonin is shot, which is your happiness molecule. So you're not getting the reward factor. And then you're not getting something generic and your body and your brain has to work to restore that. 
And that that can last a little while as well. That's not just I'm hungover one day after. The restoration in the brain is going to take a couple of days. It could even take a couple of weeks, depending on, you know, how big you went in your journey of numbing. So I wouldn't recommend it. Serotonin you can get through sunshine. And when you show up and you do these basic things, and it's hilarious because you hear about meditation and gratitude and they sound like these buzzwords that don't carry a lot of weight until you experience them. And then you've set this precedence where you're like, I can't believe how immediate and impactful. And then suddenly the switch goes off. Even by the second day in Mexico, I was, I was coming up with all kinds of phenomenal ideas. And I was just like, wow, I'm just, I'm on now. Like, right. and it was fantastic how quickly it happened. Yeah. Just a little side story is before we um, started this interview. So my daughter, who's 19, she's in college and she lives on campus. And the first two weeks, don't ask me why, but she was driving from her dorm to her class, which is like, you know, five blocks. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, you can't find a parking space. Please just walk to class. And like, that's why you're living on campus. So she started this week. She calls me after class and she's like, mom, oh my God, I have l- listen to some of these ideas I have for that. She's part of this fashion magazine. And she's like, I just had some really good ideas and blah, blah, blah. I said, well, I said, you're walking and you're in the sunshine. And that that's what stimulates these ideas. It's like the same thing. But like when you're driving a car across campus, <laughs> you're not going to get any good ideas driving, but just walking and, you know, stimulation and the sunshine. And she's coming up with all of these ideas and it's, you know, a small example, but people don't realize like how much that could really trigger goodness and creativity, just the smallest bit of movement and sunshine. Absolutely. And you, that intuitive intelligence is so spot on. There are things that I've, that have just come through me because I've been connected to that intuition. And I'd be talking with a brain scientist and I'd be like, I really have a hunch that PTSD and eyesight, she's like, they absolutely are. Or, you know, and I just, these things that come, these sixth sense, it it really does exist. And I highly recommend tapping into like gratitude is vibrating at a frequency higher than enlightenment, which is around 780 gratitudes around 900 Hertz as a frequency. So we then get into the spiritual element of it, which spirit spirituality and science are now just merging Sadhguru has his own research center, for instance, proving in science what we already know in spirituality. But when we tap into that level of frequency, what do you think the law of attraction is? Every emotion is energy in motion, and you are emotion. You are electrical impulses through synaptic gaps transmitted by water, and that's what your brain is. That's what instruction is. That's what inspiration is. That's what your executive function of nailing it at work is the ability to get over an argument quickly by having that like decision-making and self-awareness, it all comes back to our emotions. So I think it's, and, and what we can't do is we cannot get into our highest states of success when we're stuck in survival. Evolutionary, we are designed to avoid pain before we can seek pleasure. Our brain is wired this way. We will obviously not be like, yeah, let's, let's focus on the s'mores because this is going to be really pleasure and the beer is coming like to eat us. We would never be like, oh, don't worry, bear. I just want to like enjoy this s'more for a sec. Just hold tight. No, our survival instinct is extraordinarily responsive to fear. And in this pandemic, we have to remember that as well. We can choose to not react. We can also choose, okay, is this really something that I'm going to allow 
to keep me in the depths of fear to the point where I can't actualize my success because I'm stuck in a fear vibration. And we, we have to be very aware of that, that we can't self-actualize if we're stuck in survival. Yeah. And that's actually another thing that I learned at Canyon Ranch is that, you know, I was talking on one of my one-on-ones and I said, you know, I feel like for the past five months and I said, maybe the past five years, I've just been in survival mode and I don't know why. And she said, you know, Lisa, I think you've been in survival mode since you've been a little girl, your whole life has been in survival mode. And that's part of this, you know, process of like kind of undoing and, and creating space. And, you know, you, you're right. Like you can't being in survival mode is not a good mode to be in, even if you you have to really have some self-awareness to recognize it. Especially for entrepreneurs, because there's a lot of suicidal tendencies in the startup world, whether they're advocated for, or whether they happen in the privacy of our minds, there is so much fear of failure and it's such high risk that we're constantly holding ourselves in comparison to the 1% because you're pretty ballsy when you go out and you want to disrupt something and you're holding yourself accountable to the total addressable market and all these targets and you have fear of failure and you're there in survival mode when really you need to be moving beyond that if you're going to get through the testing ways of that arena. The startup world is so intense and I think that if we can be aware not just not just from a health lens but from a being able to be our best self in our success lens and recognizing that the emotional intelligence is a part of that success formula. So speaking of suicide, you're launching your book and it's suicide prevention month. And I think, you know, you're doing like, it's an amazing tie-in and talk about your book and the promotion this month and where people can get it. Yeah. So the book's actually available in 40,000 online stores, most notably Amazon, Target, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, iBooks. The Intelligence of Happiness is the name. We just hit number one new release in neuropsychology this morning. Yay. It's been doing really well. Um, You can also get it on my website. I will have a free copy on g.media, gii.media, and that will be available for the next week for National Suicide Prevention Week. And that's a free PDF copy. So you can get it in any of those places and shoot me a message if you want to chat about anything. I'm always available. It's a very interesting time to be talking about suicide because in this pandemic specifically, the numbers have skyrocketed. And it's an interesting thing because I had been working on this book for a number of years. And last year, during the information fatigue of it all and the uncertainty, which we need for our sanity, we need to have certainty in our safety. It became a very destructive time for me, the isolation and the inability to see how I could launch into the world and achieve what I wanted. We were in lockdowns, you know, places were shutting down, people were getting laid off. And I was just focusing on all the wrong things, to be honest. So I sat on the floor one day and I was like, I'm just done. And from that place to this place is what this book is about, like how you get out of that danger zone, but not just stopping there. We don't want to just survive in life. We want to thrive. And so it's not just about not being in pain. It's about being powerful and achieving everything that's within our capacity to do and learning the techniques, the neuropsychology, the science the daily discipline and the routine to make sure that we can actually achieve what we set out to do. And I think there's something to be said for, you know, you went to the jungle. I did my thing at Canyon Ranch. 
but the work isn't done. You know, I, I plan on, I was just amazed at how many people I met that go there multiple times a year for their like reset. It's part of their life management. And so what are some tips or action items that you can give if, you know, whether it's a trip or what else can, can someone do to make sure that this work is always showing up in their life? I think important right now is connection and community. One of my favorite things to do is to express gratitude, to DM a bunch of people, to email, to reach out and send a voice note and be like, hey, I I watch your podcast. Hey, when you sent this message or being nostalgic, it actually rewires your brain. It has, it releases dopamine and serotonin, gratitude alike. So that's one very easy, accessible, free thing that you can be doing because not everyone has the freedom the flexibility and the financial capacity to travel around to retreats it was one of the things that I was worst most worried about like is it really going to be worth it to invest in this and you can have access to that kind of transformation just through your reading and your your practice and the daily work like you're saying you'd be surprised one week of actually just doing half an hour writing down a couple of blessings, journaling, thought purging, getting your mind clear and taking a walk, but doing it consistently. So the 5C framework in the book talks about controlling emotions, being conscious of thought patterns, consistent in beliefs, uh, committed to beliefs that serve us and continuous in behavior that is in alignment with what we know is best for ourselves. Probably the hardest part for people. Thinking positive is great. Doing things in alignment with those thoughts was an important part. The executive function and how we can hack that using our neuroplasticity so that it becomes easy to do the things that we find resistance with originally. And then being consistent with all of those, the fifth C, the most important one, the consistency. Staying up, keeping up with the work. Okay. This has been great, Gigi. And we are going to transition over to Social PR Secrets, my other podcast. So if you're listening to Digital Detox Secrets and you don't know about Social PR Secrets, head on over to that podcast. We're going to talk about more on the social media PR side of things um, and some tips for marketers, digital marketers that Gigi can share in her journey. But thank you so much for being part of this episode. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Digital Detox Secrets. If you liked what you heard, check out the book on Amazon or follow our blog at digitaldetoxsecrets.com. This episode was sponsored by The Buyer Group, a social PR agency striving to keep our balance in the digital world, practicing yoga, meditation, and occasional wine drinking for the best creativity and results. Namaste. Namaste.